The idea of this podcast is simple, discipleship. We want to bring the gospel message about how to interact with your coworkers, your culture, your friends, everyone around you in a biblical way, which is, in essence, discipleship. What did Jesus do when he came to this earth? He took the devil's stuff. The Bible actually teaches that the world is becoming increasingly covered with the knowledge of the glory of God. That should change everything in the mind of a Christian. Instead of thinking about all the ways society is failing, we should think about all the ways society must be, as Psalm 1101 tells us, put underneath the feet of Jesus in victory. The Rebel Alliance Podcast. We would be honored if you would join us. Welcome back to another Rebel Alliance Media Podcast. As always, we got Pooty and p in the studio, along with our knobs and dials guy. That's what I'm <laughs> going to call him from now. Does that feel good? Wetsy on the knobs and dials. He's hitting the knobs and the dials and the ones and the twos. There you go. Yeah, yeah. We were making that joke before we came on, on the radio that we were going to try to do this like a 70s like freshman disc jockey. Yeah, I think like, I pulled like it a off. college freshman uh, radio show. So we need a lot more sound effects. <laughs> like... You know, lasers yeah and <laughs> pranks that we we play by calling people's landlines <laughs> do, do people still have landlines i don't know is that a thing in i don't think countries so. no I, I yeah know. i'm sure it is other other places but no no one around here has one anymore no no that's very that's very true we have we have an action-packed episode here for you guys today. yeah so we want to get right to it um so if you are just getting to know the rebels uh we'd love for you to check us out uh on I was going to say online, but go, just go to our website, rebelalliancemedia.com. Uh, check us out on Facebook. You can find us there under Rebel Alliance Podcast. Um, those are some places where you can get to know us a little bit more. We have a uh, podcast that you're listening to right now that drops a new one every single Wednesday. And we also have videos that we release on Facebook uh, that release every Friday. So we'd love for you to share, uh, comment, uh, interact with us, all that kind of stuff. And that's actually what uh, our episode's all about today. Some listener interaction and some questions that have come in. And uh, we've been so, uh, what, in the midst of? so, so Wrapped up in? Wrapped up in. There you go. That's what I'm looking for. In the, uh, in the Truth Apocalypse series that we haven't got to questions for a while. So we're going to answer a few of those today. Um, but just uh, thought we'd start off by just uh, talking about the elephant in the room, and that is that uh, we aren't saying today that we are proud members of the Berean Media Network. Um, that network, if you listen to our friends, the uh, Layman's Cup, uh, they announced last week that that network is dissolving, and uh, there's there's a lot of different plans. Uh, we love all of the former BMN podcasts, The Front Pew uh, the two thieves and the layman's cup. Yeah, still, still our friends. Still, still our friends. Still love them. Yeah, relationally, we're all still there. Uh, we're we're kind of looking at uh, just all of us kind of uh, going in separate directions, uh, not relationally at all, but want to make sure that our podcasts are all uh, kind of uh, primarily focused on what we started these podcasts to do. Yeah. And so one of the things that we really started off with uh, here at Rebels is that we that we wanted to do is to help you engage culture with a biblical worldview. And so um, sometimes being a part of a network, sometimes you get into internetwork dialogue. Uh, you kind of talk about uh, what the other people are talking about, and sometimes it kind of gets you out of your lane a little bit. Uh, Kemp was using this language on the episode that he talked about, and so we just want to make sure we're in our lane. We want to make sure we're doing what we feel God has called us to do. And we started this podcast not just because we like having 
long conversations with each other, um, but uh, because we actually think that um, this is one of the things that's lacking in the church is um, Christians helping other Christians think biblically about what's going on in the culture around them. Yeah, and we just really want to get back to just just always talking about that. Yeah, for sure. Really helping you guys engage with culture because we know you're out there on the front line, so to speak, of the rebellion, yeah. you know, in your workplaces, in your homes, in your neighborhoods. churches, neighborhoods everywhere. And we really, we really just want to like focus on helping you guys engage your culture. And sometimes being in the network took us away from that. Sometimes it took us towards that. We just want to always be towards that, so because yeah. we can see the gospel spread. And we just want to say we we loved being in the network with with our brothers and sisters and I guess there's no sisters, our brothers in the, in the network. And we still would recommend all you guys to listen to those podcasts. They are incredibly helpful to each of us. Absolutely, I still listen, still promote their content and you're going to hear their voices, voices and their names come up throughout this podcast as we bring them in to discuss things about, about that as it goes forward. We're just not a formal agreement anymore between us or anything like that. So, so, um, so that's that. That's what's kind of going on in the lives of the rebels. We have some uh, some cool stuff coming up. We're really excited for a couple of special episodes coming up in the near future that uh, I'm not going to tease you with, other than to say, stay tuned. <laughs> um, but uh, really excited about that. But one of the things we want to get back to, one of the things that we've been super thankful for since the very beginning, when we just had a couple of listeners, uh, we found that they were very engaging and uh, and very quick to ask questions and ask us to address things on the podcast. And uh, one of the things we've been very blessed by is that as that audience has grown, um, there a lot of you have still reached out to us and still interact with us and send us questions and all that kind of stuff. So today we just want to take some time to answer a bunch of the questions that have come in. Uh, one of the first questions that I thought was uh, was kind of worth addressing was uh, it was actually on one of our videos. Somebody posted a question on the bottom of it, essentially asking us about the name Rebel Alliance Media and how the term rebel is always kind of associated as a negative thing, right? Rebel against God, rebel in any way, right? And so we just thought, hey, uh, we probably have, well, I mean, if you just look at our, our track track record here, um, there are tons of uh, new listeners who have not been with us since the beginning. So they probably don't know why we have the name Rebel Alliance Media. So why don't you start and then I'll jump in, Pooty. Yeah, sure. We we chose the name Rebel Rebel Alliance basically is a a dual, a dual play on the idea that we're obviously Star Wars fans. Yep. And we liken ourselves the Christian Church in this universe right now in the on the globe as like the rebellion in Star Wars, something that starts small and then eventually spreads until it conquers the evil empire. So when we when we think of rebels as ourselves, we think of ourselves as rebels against the like the overwhelming established order. established order of our of our of our governments and our globe not rebels in terms of like a, a guerrilla movement but almost a, a rebellion that's starting and growing slowly over time because we we fully believe that the gospel will continue to grow and continue to take over the the globe with the good news and being a rebel in culture is always something that's Currently, if you're on one side or the other, you're either a rebel or on the governmental government right. side. But history you're always, either on the majority side or the, the re, you're a rebel. Exactly right, and but history, as time goes on, where you're sitting on that fence changes. Right, and so we believe that as we're rebels right now against the established order, so to speak, in culture and and what people believe about God. Over time, that rebellion will will switch because. 
we believe the glory of God will be spread into the all four corners of the, of the globe, right? Right. The actual word rebel just means uh, a person who rises in opposition to an established uh, authority. And so uh, the established authority uh, in our culture is um, kind of the uh, the secular humanistic world that we all live in. And uh, we recognize that it's dark and it's passing laws that are contrary to the, the word of God. And so we aren't rebels in that we serve the ultimate master of the universe, but we are rebels in that we are currently part of the minority trying to overthrow uh, the current status quo. And you could think of this um, in Acts chapter 17, Paul and Silas are accused of the men who turned the world upside down with their teaching. And for those of us who are Christians who see Christ as the ultimate authority, we would say, well, they weren't turning the world upside down. They were actually turning the world right side up, back the way it was supposed to be, uh, bringing Christ and his lordship to bear in every aspect of life. Um, But to those who were accusing them, they were accused of turning the world upside down. And so similarly, we are rebels from the point of view of the culture um, that doesn't want to submit to the lordship of Christ, but we are, as Psalm 110.1 puts it, or, or 1 Corinthians 15, uh, working to put all areas of culture underneath the feet of Jesus in victory. So that's where we get the name rebel, and that's why we identify as rebels without uh, any feelings of guilt whatsoever. <laughs> uh, and actually, uh, even just talking about it kind of gets me amped up. So, <laughs> yeah, Nate's bouncing. Yeah, yeah. Speak so, um, so that was kind of the first question, but we have a whole bunch of them. Why don't you read uh, read our first one there, Chris? Yeah, I got I got this one. This one kind of made me laugh, so I'm going to shoot it at you. I'm not happy at my church. Help! Is it me or not? Signed, anonymous Crossroads person. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> the Crossroads part is a joke, uh, but it's a good Sign, question. Disgruntled at Crossroads. <laughs> disgruntled yeah. at our church. No, but what's it, the um? That's the Sleepless in Seattle movie, right? When yeah. he like calls in, he's like signed Sleepless in Seattle. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I, I just referenced believe. a chick flick. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know what's funny? I did that on Friday at work. So sleepless been, in Seattle? Yeah, there's been two sleepless in Seattle references within the last 24 hours from the two of us. Oh boy. Unbeknownst to each of us. <laughs> anyway, so a good question though, something yeah, we yeah. can actually talk about. Like somebody who's unhappy in their current church and we don't have any details of what this listener's yeah. church situation is. And they just said, help, is it me or is it not? So first thing I would say is... Identify what you're unhappy about. Are you unhappy because you're not hearing the word of God being preached faithfully? Are you unhappy with the worship? Or what? what is it that you're unhappy in the, right. in the church about? Because if you're not hearing the word of God faithfully preached, then I would say, well, you're not really in a church anyway, so you, should, you feel free to leave. You know? <laughs> Tell I, us how you really feel, Prudy. <laughs> Did that come out too hard? No, no, that's, that's good. That's fine. Good. Um, but if it's, if, it's, if it's not that, if it's relationally, if it's um, feeling underappreciated. Again, we don't know the details of right. this. Is it is it disconnected with the body? Once you identify what that actual issue is, because the Bible speaks to all of those things, but you have to kind of first identify what that what the actual issue is. Is my first piece of advice to this person. Yeah, and I would say um, the the last part of their question where they said, "Is it me?" Um, I think good for you for being able to identify that it might be you here. And I would just say that most most of the reasons that most people leave most churches, <laughs> how's that for a caveat, are bad reasons. Yeah. So I think that that you know we kind of have a an understanding in North American Christianity that a a church is sort of like a movie theater. If the local movie theater isn't showing the movies you like or the popcorn's too expensive, then you just go to another one. 
And that's not what a church is supposed to be. We are supposed to be covenant members of local bodies. And so um, I would hope that our listeners are settled into a church enough that they are members and, and looking to leave a church isn't as easy as just going and finding, you know, another movie theater. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say, you know, asking the question, is it me, is a good thing. So you, you listed off a whole, a whole bunch of possible scenarios. So let me just speak to a couple of them as, sure. as sort of, you know, when, when people come and talk to me, when they are unhappy at Crossroads or, or in other churches, or when we get new people who come in the door and I, and I meet them for the first time, and I usually try to find out where they came from and why, because the truth is we don't also, we don't want to just have wide open front doors where people can come in because they've wreaked havoc in other churches and now they're looking for somewhere else to do that. Or, you know, truth is we don't want people to come in just because they didn't like the children's ministry at their previous church, right? Um, because we think that there should be more loyalty to a local church than that. So um, so a couple things. You're not feeling connected to the body, right? You, you don't get along with these people or, or, or you're not, you know, um, they, they don't seem all that friendly or you haven't built good relationships. So if that's you, then I would say, you know, have you found a place to serve, right? Generally, I mean, even if you're just uh, ushering on a Sunday morning, you know, Chris and I, who are in leadership at our local church, would say ushering, you know, media projection, sound, these aren't small things. (laughs) We covet those positions and so but you know you become an usher and suddenly you're on a team with a couple of people that you're going to begin to serve with and build relationships with etc etc so you know are you serving somewhere are you plugged into a small group or a bible study somewhere maybe your church has that maybe they don't maybe that's part of the thing but if so if you're not feeling relationally connected, uh, there are some things you can do that would remedy that, and that is, you know, get connected. And and sometimes people say, well, you know, I'm new here; they should be the ones approaching me. Yeah, you know what? You're 100 percent true. That's 100 percent accurate. But they haven't. So why don't you take the initiative? Why don't you step forward? Why don't you um, plug in somewhere? Find a small group. Find a Bible study. Um, the the next thing I'd say, it, you know, is there a particular ministry that's important to you that you're not liking? Their children's ministry isn't what I want it to be. Their worship ministry isn't what I want it to be. Um, my generally, I would say that people are most critical of areas in which they have some level of skill, right? So worship types or musical types are generally more critical of the music than non-musical types, right? Because they believe either they believe they could do better or whatever the case may be. And so I would just say, then one of the things that you ought to do is try to try to be part of the solution, right? Don't leave a church because their children's ministry is weak. Become a part of their children's ministry and work to make it better, right? And so if there's an area of the church that you think is weak that you don't like, and that's why you are thinking about leaving, I would say, no, 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 your responsibility as God sovereignly placed you there is to maybe be part of the solution. Another thing uh, that it, it, you know, a person might be feeling here is, uh, you know, that they don't like the pastor or they don't, they don't feel like they're getting fulfilled by the pastor. So I would say a couple of things here. Number one, just like you said, if he's not preaching the word of God, right, if, if, if it's, you know, uh, fluffy sermons, if he is not delving into the word of God, if he's not true to the word of God, then, then you have a bigger issue here, right? Then it might be just time to leave. Is it that he's not making time for you? Well, you know, I think that maybe um, 
sometimes uh, we have unrealistic expectations of, of the amount of personal time that we can get with leadership at churches, especially when we're new somewhere. Uh, and so I would just say if, if there's a relational thing with some of the leadership and that's one of the things that's got you disgruntled, I would say talk about it. Right. Uh, the you know, you are several steps away from leaving a church at this point, um, if this is your case. And part and one of the first things you do is you talk it out. So if, if somebody so and this kind of bleeds into has somebody there offended you. Right. And maybe that is the pastor hasn't made enough time for you. or Maybe somebody's wronged you in some way. I would say, have have the steps in Matthew 18 been um, been carried out? Have you talk to the brother have you have you brought a couple of people in to weigh in on this subject is it you being overly sensitive is it them is it somebody who's gone you know offended several people and gone unchecked so there's there's so much here and and we could go on and on and on with a question like this that's so open-ended but i would just say generally speaking i would think the the only reasons to leave a church is if you have a massive theological sticking point that w- would hinder you from being involved in their mission mm-hmm. or is the word of God not being preached? In which case, like you said, it's barely a church, so you can just get out of there. Um, the rest fall under the cases of preference. And uh, actually, our friends over at the front pew uh, did an episode on this on, on should I leave a ch- leave the church, and uh, that was a really good episode. So I'll reference that as well. But uh, hopefully, that's enough. And if this listener wants to come back and ask us a more direct or more specific question with some of the details, then we'll answer that. But hopefully, that gives them enough to kind of start to uh, with some level of Christian or biblical wisdom sort through what's my issue and, and where do I stand? Yeah, exactly. Basically, I'm hearing you say, like, identify if you're a consumer or are you a servant of the local body? Of yeah, the, are you that's good. consuming this church and all that they offer you or are you serving this church? And once you once you figure that part out, you can answer a lot of those questions because servants don't stop serving. Right. right? So, yeah. All right, let's move on. We've got, more, we got tons more questions. I'm gonna <laughs> <laughs> let's see how many we get through. All right, I'm going to throw out one from an episode that we did recently. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's kind of a twofold question. Uh, back to our episode about the v- abiding validity of the law of God. Um, so we said that we should follow the civil law of God still, but it seem, we seem to back off that um, slightly at the end. So which is it? And a related question that we got from a different listener was, do we believe in a threefold division of the law? Okay. So just to kind of sum up here, uh, I think it was our second last or penultimate um, uh, episode of the Truth Apocalypse uh, about the abiding validity of God's law. Um, and so we did. We got lots of questions about this. And so the, the first question uh, you said was, we seem to say that we should follow the civil law, and then we backed off later yeah, in the episode? Apparently yeah, apparently okay. softened up. Okay, so... Um, what I would say to that is that what we, what we weren't doing is backing off. What we were doing is not putting the cart before the horse. So one of the things that theonomists are, are continually um, uh, accused of is trying to transform the world or the culture through law. Well, you, you want to talk about the meta narrative of scripture. Scripture tells us that the law can't transform. That's that's part of the whole point of the whole story. Grace transforms. The law can't do what only grace can do. So the point here is that um, we what we're not saying is that the or what we're saying is that the the government ought to follow God's law when we start to ask the question how shall we live under God? 
we're a long way from that. I mean, we have wicked governments and, and countries full of wicked people. So what we would say is that the gospel has to go forward first. The gospel has to transform hearts. The, God, the Great Commission needs to be fulfilled. And, and once we have a group of Christians who are looking around at one another because the gospel has so spread and the Lordship of Christ has so expanded that they start asking the questions, well, how now shall we live? Yes. That's when we start to, to ask the question, and on what authority should our civil laws be built? And of course, the, the only logical answer to that is the law of God. That's the only, his, his law is perfect. But his law isn't going to transform anybody. Grace transforms. And then his law is, is um, what's then required of the transformed individual. Yeah, it's like you can't, you can't live out the law until you get the grace. Amen. Yeah. The grace is what enables you to follow the rules. But it's also one of those things you have to, we always have to look at it and be like, it's not good for a Christian. It's the Bible actually says this person probably isn't a Christian. If he get pretends to have the grace and then doesn't change right. and become something different, right. that's antinomian. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Grace helps us fulfill the law and live out the law. Jesus said he came to fulfill the law, not to abolish it. Right. Right. And the grace that Jesus gives us helps us live this out. And the law just helps us answer the question of, well, how to do that? What right. does it look like? What does a Christian world look like? And I think that, um, one of the easy ways that you can kind of make this argument is that what does, you know, so I'll just talk to the Christian who's listening right now, who maybe doesn't identify as a theonomist, who doesn't believe in the abiding validity of God's law to the, in the New Testament believer. I would just ask the question, does God's law reflect his character? Yes or no? And if the answer is yes, then it's unchanging, Right? There's, there's, there's no way around that. But if, but if the answer is no, then in some way you believe that the Old Testament civil laws given to Israel were in some way arbitrary. But God's not going to command something that is not tied to his character because he is righteous. And so all I would say is that um, go and read Isaiah chapter 2. And in Isaiah chapter 2, it talks about how God's law will go out from Zion to the nations. And then the nations will come to Zion to be uh, so that uh, God's law can settle disputes among them. And that's so the idea here is that um, God's law is is what brings clarity to the nations. Now, that going out comes after the gospel going out and transforming the nations, and then the nations come back and say, essentially, now, how, how then shall we live? So I think that's kind of, and, and that kind of bleeds into the, the next question that you asked, and that, that was, do we believe in a threefold division of the law? So anybody unfamiliar with this topic, let me just break it down so that you don't get lost here. Generally speaking, scholars have said that the Old Testament law, so when you're reading through Exodus and Leviticus and uh, a bit in Numbers and certainly in Deuteronomy, that you're hearing all these laws. And generally, scholars have have divided those laws into three different um, categories. And that would be judicial slash civil, depending on who you're reading. So they'll say judicial or civil. We'll just keep calling it civil because that's what we've said so far. Civil. uh, moral and ceremonial. So civil law having to do with how the nation of Israel ought to be governed, 
moral, meaning how you ought to live as an individual within that society, and then uh, ceremonial in terms of how you ought to worship God. So the question is, do we believe in a threefold division of the law? And I would just say that question's kind of silly because that, that threefold division is simply just for categorizing things. There, there's nothing in scripture actually breaks down the law into those three categories. That's completely man-made. So do I believe in it? Well, yeah, I believe in it insofar as it helps us as we're discussing the law as, as to which law that fits into. But um, many scholars actually, after, after the Westminster uh, Confession of Faith was written, scholars would come back and talk about how the, um, even the civil law can be divided into two different types of civil law, the civil law that's tied to the ceremonial law and the civil law that's not tied to the ceremonial law. So you can see all these different breakdowns that, that happen from within there. So I would just say God's law is God's law. It's one and it's whole. And if you talk to any you talk to any modern Jew and they would not believe in a threefold division of the law, they would not they would not believe in any sort of division between these things, because to them it's all moral. It's all God's character, therefore it all matters, and we ought to um, adhere to it. I would say though, as a theonomist, as somebody who wants to um, work hard at trying to uh, adhere to God's law, not as a means of justification, but as a means of sanctification, as somebody who's already been justified, I would say that we uh, a more helpful way of thinking about the division of the law is into two categories. That which pointed to Christ, right, and therefore is fulfilled in Christ, and that which still abides. So um, things like the sacrifices, um, the reason we don't offer sacrifices anymore is because Christ offered sacrifice once and for all. So that was a shadow of Christ. That was a, a shadow that was fulfilled under the new covenant. Whereas many of the laws, which include how to treat your neighbor and uh, how to live justly and how to protect those under your care, um, how to conduct your business relations, all that kind of stuff, um, those are still abiding. Um, Christ coming and dying doesn't do anything to those laws other than provide you the power with which to uh, actually adhere to them. So um, yes, I believe in a threefold division of the law just in terms of how we talk about the law, but the, the law itself is, is one. It is God. God's character revealed to man about how he wants us to live. And I would say a more helpful way of um, thinking about it is twofold division. Was it fulfilled in Christ and therefore no longer necessary? Or was it confirmed by Christ and therefore continues to be necessary? That is fantastic, Nate. Is that good? Oh, that was... Very rarely do I just sit and be like, that is just, just great. And I was just, just loving everything that was coming out of your mouth there. And so, and I know we, we got lots of questions about theonomy. So I, I'm sure, you know, we'll, we, we've actually talked about maybe doing a series later on where we take some Old Testament law and, and talk about the application for today. So we might end up doing stuff like that. And if you, if you have any desire for that, shoot us an email and ask us your questions. We yeah, love talking about it. Maybe we'll find a way to do it in a different format or something. Yeah. I don't know. We'll figure it out. <laughs> Live on the air admin happening as we speak. That's how the <laughs> rebels roll. Uh, so, okay, okay. Another question. Another question. 
<laughs> this one is, again, a bit fun. I, like, it's just one of those questions. I don't know if it's a serious question or if it's a tongue-in-cheek, um, but we got asked it. We've been asked it more than once, and we avoided it the last time. Oh, okay. Um, I, don't, I don't know if you told that. I, I, I waited okay. till we got a certain level, level of asked before we answered this one. And the question basically is, is it okay for Christians to date non-Christians, or as I like to refer to it as missionary dating? <laughs> so is that Okay. And I think I think the first thing we need to clarify is that we're no. not next. <laughs> no, no, it's not. We're we're not talking about people, somebody who becomes converted after their marriage or anything like that. We're talking right. about strictly right, right, right. pre-marriage dating, right. the dating scene, courting, as you say in right. the reformed. <laughs> in the reformed is that a, tradition, is that a reformed courting. Thing? courting? Yeah. Uh, May I court your daughter? Get back to arranged marriages. Yeah. I, you know what? They have a higher success rate. Yeah. Well, as a dad, I'm telling you. Um, okay. Uh, so I, my answer is still just no. Um, and so, I, I mean, you can, we can bring up the, the famous passages about not being unevenly yoked, etc. Um, now, and the only caveat I'll put is we, we have close friends who, um, who start off in relationships like this. And I would just say that God works all things together for good. So even something that maybe started off in a sinful way or in a wrong way, uh, God, God made good. Um, but that said, the answer to this is still no. Uh, you shouldn't do it. And, uh, and and I'm not even a big fan of like the, well, we're not technically dating and just trying to be really close friends and, to, and wait and see if God will convert them or, or have they cro- come to church enough that people will assume that they've become a Christian. I mean, I just think, here's the thing. Christianity is supposed to be the most important thing in your yes. life, not a, a part of your life, but your whole life. And so you should not want to share your life with somebody um, who does not share the most important thing with you. If you do, then that, that reveals something deeper in your heart. And maybe it's, maybe it's not like overtly sinful, like, um, you know, lust or whatever. Maybe it's just loneliness. Maybe it's, you know, desperation at this point, like who knows what it is, but I would just say that that doesn't justify you, um, dating somebody who doesn't share your convictions because at the end of the day, you are going to have to make compromises in that relationship. And even if by the grace of God, they get saved, then there's always going to be a, um, tension knowing that you compromised your integrity and your faith in order to start this relationship. So now, even though they're buying into Christianity, they're coming in loaded up with the idea that sometimes it's okay not to abide by, you know? And so that's, that, I, that's how I'd answer that. Yeah. I, I just, I just, I want to, I want to highlight one thing you said, cause I think that's, I think that is the, the answer to the question is, is what is it about this person that you want to date if they're not, if they're not a believer as somebody who was regenerated and in love with God, how can you, how do you, how do you want to be with somebody for the rest of your life? Cause let's be honest, if you're a Christian, you're probably dating for that purpose. Why would you want to be dating somebody who isn't reflecting back the character of Christ to you, which just blows my mind that you would sacrifice all of what you like you have in your heart to date somebody who's just good looking eye candy. I don't understand. Like uh, we made a joke before we were on air that it's just like, well, the the answer to this really depends on how good looking the person is. And and I just want (laughs) to, if it's a 10, fine, everything else. I'm just just kidding. Uh, But no, but I think we were joking. I think exactly. We were joking. I think, I think that's the thing you have to answer to yourself. If you're becoming 
infatuated, attracted to somebody who isn't a Christian. Yeah, what is it that you're attracted exactly, to? Exactly. What person? is it about that person that you're actually attracted to? Because it isn't, they might be a nice person, but it isn't Christ reflecting back to you that is making you attracted to this person. It's not the, how you see God working in their lives. And I also want to just point out all the pitfalls. There's hundreds. We could do episodes upon episodes of the pitfalls of that could befall you of dating somebody who is who is unequally yoked that doesn't want to have any moral reason to wait till marriage that doesn't have any moral reason to you know use like not not have an abortion if you if yeah. if mistakes were made or or want to raise their kids in the right in the way that you want to raise them there's just so many pitfalls that you that you can that you need to avoid in the situation there's a reason we were told to to not do this basically is yeah. a nice way to say it. Yep. Um, I agree. But there, and I would also care. So I just want to, yeah, yeah. I would also encourage, because I know every single person who's listening to this is probably like, Oh, but I know this couple that's amazing now. And I'd be like, yeah, but we don't, we don't prescribe experience to being the, the final arbiter. That's a great way to put it. I was looking for a <laughs> word, but, but that's, yeah. that's not the barometer of how it should work. Right. Yeah. Sometimes God just works miracles. That's right. All right. Another good question. So I'm asking all the questions. I think I yeah, got keep them all. going. Keep going. Are you fine with that? Um, <laughs> this one I think is, is great. I would, we should probably have done a whole episode on it, but let's just carry on. Does the Lord discipline his children mm. this side of the grave? Like right now, after they become children of God, when, how, and why? So does God still discipline us even though we're saved? Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so, I mean, discipline, uh, discipline means a couple of different things to a couple of different people. Um, discipline essentially just means to train. Um, uh, I mean, so I'll, I'll answer this in two ways. Of course, God trains us, right. In, in terms of, you know, disciplines us in terms of disciples us, right. Trains us up. Um, I think the 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 person who's asking this is probably asking, does God punish, right? Disciplinary is, as in punish. And I think that, uh, I think that this is exactly what the author of Hebrews is getting at in Hebrews chapter 12, right? Um, and he says, uh, uh, have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. So what this is saying is, number one, it's a resounding yes. Scripture answers the question, yes, God does discipline and chastise us. And, but he says that should actually that should actually um, make us rejoice because that means that we're sons, exactly. right? And f- so for any of our listeners who are parents, you recognize that the, um, you discipline your children, punish your children uh, because you love them, because you're trying to train them, because you're trying to uh, ultimately you, you chastise them and you punish them for doing something that will be, if left unpunished, more harm to them. And so, you know, then so that's the that's the kind of easy biblical answer. But then uh, I think some of the practical kind of pastoral wisdom that would come out of this, if I was sitting down and chatting with this person, is they would ask questions like, well, what does that look like? Do I get punished for the wrong things that I do? And I would say, I hope so. 
right? Absolutely. You, yes. And, and let's hope that that's true. So let me give you an example. And this, this is, uh, uh, this is a hypothetical, but a lot of things have happened that are very, very close to this. So it's, it's a hypothetical. That's just an amalgamation of several real experiences. Um, but let's say that one of our listeners, um, is watching pornography and it's, it's something that they can't get over. And, uh, and so the, the question is, is God going to punish me for that? Well, I mean, your car getting a flat tire in the morning isn't necessarily because you looked at porn on your computer the night before. But what I would say is that God can use circumstances in your life to discipline you, to remind you. And ultimately, the, the greatest way that he can discipline you in that is to bring that to the light, have you get caught, right? And I think that there are times in our lives when God will um, give us a lesser punishment to encourage us to do the right thing. And, uh, and sometimes he needs to speak louder. And, and oftentimes when we see people whose lives, lives are in shambles, and, and just so you know, I mean, I, I have, I have fr- Christian friends who I don't think are taking their faith as seriously as they ought to, and I have non-Christian friends who, who are rebelling against God. And to both of those people, I pray for them. And when I pray for them, I say, God, do whatever it takes to get a hold of their hearts. And I recognize that might not seem very loving if they heard me say that, and, and, you know, people that I love who I know who, yes, absolutely, I would rather them get fired from their job. I'd rather see relationships break down. I would, I would like to see them hit rock bottom if it means that they're going to wake up and, uh, and accept the gospel. So, you know, yes, God disciplines us. Yes, God brings calamity into our lives to turn us back to him. Absolutely, he does. But it's a merciful grace of God that he does that. Because the alternative to not getting disciplined and continuing to live in our sin, in fact, one of the things that First John tells us is that, um, you know, how do we know that we belong to God? We know that we belong to God when we persevere to the end. <laughs> in other words, if we are defeated in sin, it doesn't matter if we pray to sinner's prayer. If we're defeated in sin, it means we never belong to God. So one of the ways we know we belong to God is that we persevere to the end, which means that God will not leave us in our sin. He will discipline us. He will chastise us. He will bring calamity into our lives in order to get us to turn from that sin and turn back to him. And that's a good thing. It's part of the way he uh, perseveres uh, those who truly belong to him. Yeah. I think I think you hit the nail on the head there, right? I remember listening to Ray Ortland speak one time and he was asked the question, what do I do about my apathetic church? It was a pastor's conference and the pastor asked, I have an apathetic church. What do I, how do I pray for these people? They all claim to be believers. And Ray Ortland took a very long time to answer the question and then very quietly just said, pray that God ruins their lives. And it was, <laughs> I remember it stuck with me being because like how, how unfrequent is that prayer in my life that Seriously. God ruin what it is that I'm doing that you're not happy with. Yeah. Take it away from, bring it to the light. And, and I think that's once we start, realizing that God uses little circumstances, things in our lives, sometimes the revealing of our shames and our, and our sin to people we love and to everybody else. He's doing that because of the greater love he has for us. I, Doug Wilson answered this question one time on his little blogcast. I have never podcast, podcast. There you go. Um, Blogcast. Blogcast. No, that's good. Um, And he, he liked it the same way you did to the, if God is our father, well, father's primary role is to discipline and train his children on how to live like him, which mm-hmm. is in righteousness. So when a kid does something wrong, so even, and we are told the scripture is very clear. Once we're in Christ, we're children of God. We're heirs with Christ. 
it's likely infeasible that God would send us to the basement, so to speak, for a time period to help us get corrected. Right. It doesn't doesn't mean he's kicked us out of the family. We're still members of his household. We're still... All of the benefits of his household, all of the, the love he has for us still applies to us, even though we're in the midst of being corrected yeah. in something. And I don't know, and we can't speak to what that looks like in your life. And I would very hazard, like very cautiously people to think, like you said, I got a flat tower, tire today. What did I do wrong, God? Right. That's not, that's not what we're saying. We're saying yeah. there are times. This isn't when, karma. Exactly. Yeah. Right. There are times where things happen in your life to correct a a far bigger problem. That's what I think right. I hear you saying, right? Yeah, so absolutely. I hope that helped um, the listener. So, okay. And we have, I, th- I think we have time for one more. Is that right? Do you have any? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I think you have one that, that might not take too, too long. And then I do have one more that might take a little while. So we'll, we'll either touch on it or, or, uh, and then get to it later, but go for it. All right. So last one that I have for sure is, uh, another one kind of tied to another practical thing is, uh, should Christians care about physical appearance? Yeah. That wasn't my answer. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we should. We yeah. should all be beautiful. Um, that's, um, not, that's not what. Yeah, no, that's a that's a that's a great question. So, um, one of the first things I and I, you know, here's the thing. One of our main North American cultural idols is attraction. So this comes up a lot, and this comes up a lot in counseling uh, for me, and uh, and so and and so oftentimes I will have to show people that I'm counseling that they've actually idolized physical appearance, attraction, um, and, and in a lot of ways even that their uh, insecurities are tied to this idol that they've propagated. Um, so one of the things I like to do is just to remind people of what Isaiah 53 actually says about Jesus. So Isaiah 53 says about Jesus, he grew, up bef- uh, he grew up before him like a young plant and a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by man- men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. And so Isaiah 53 actually tells us that there was nothing physically about Jesus that would make us love him or desire him. And so Jesus is actually described, one of the only physical appearances we see about Jesus in all of the Bible, as just not attractive. And so I say that, you know, you know, knowing that there are some people who are going, whoa, 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 wait a second. What do you mean Jesus wasn't attractive? Um, Doesn't he have blonde flowing locks? <laughs> it depends on which Hallmark cards you buy, Pootie. Um, but... Uh, so I just remind people of that just to say that physical attractiveness, physical appearance uh, does not in any way um, uh, relate to uh, what I would say inner beauty is. And, and I get that that's a cliche thing, but when you, when you talk about, uh, when you see some of the passages in the scripture, whether it's First Peter uh, chapter 1 or uh, Proverbs 31 when it talks about beautiful women it talks about women being beautiful with inner beauty with uh, it talks about adorning themselves not with jewelry or braiding of hair but of good works and so uh, there is you know as cliche as it sounds the Bible one of the overwhelming messages of the Bible is that man looks at outward appearance and God looks at the heart right Saul was an awful king 
but he was chosen because of how he looked. <laughs> David was a good king, and he was the last one of Jesse's sons that anybody thought was fit to be a king. And so because, because all the other ones were bigger and stronger and tougher and, and greater. So I would just say that should Christians be uh, concerned about outward appearance? I'm not going to say no. I'm not going to say not at all. I think actually physical attraction is actually um, a, a helpful thing in marriage, right? Knowing, of course, that physical beauty wears off for some, for, for some faster than others, for some slower. <laughs> I don't know. This is awkward, but I. Um, and but I would just say that I, I think it helps to be physically attracted to your spouse. I, I I would say that that's that's a component that I would encourage people to find somebody to marry who you are physically attracted to. But what I would say is we need to put it in its proper place. Just like I would tell a Christian, it's good to, to stay in shape. It's good to exercise. It's good to um, groom yourself. It's good to take care of the body that God has given to you. All those things are good in their proper order. And so. Um, I think that hygiene, whether it, whether it's just taking care of your body or for physical appearance sake, I think those are good things just put in their proper order. Yeah, I would I would answer the question a little quicker than that, but <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> so was, I didn't mean it like that. I just meant I, I I agree completely with what you're saying. I I think outward appearance, if we're talking in terms of an attraction to our spouse, is a very healthy thing. I'm attracted to my wife. You're attracted to your wife. That's a good and healthy thing, but that shouldn't be the main thing. Like we were saying earlier, we were much more attracted to their character, who they are and what the, how they reflect Christ back than we are to the outward part. But that's just a part of it. That's what separates your wife from all of the other godly women that you're, that you're around with. Um, in terms of like the actual body, I think that, I think the Bible often talks about our body as a temple. We've been created in God's image. So I think we should take care of it. And I think we should do our best to do that in a healthy way. I'm over, I'm overweight, which is obvious to everybody. I think who's seen, who's seen any of the videos, that's not a good thing in my life. You know what I mean? That doesn't help me in the mission of God at all. You know what I mean? It takes energy. And so I think I need to be, as a, as a Christian, I should be combating that not because I want to look better, but because my primary focus needs to be the mission of God and everything I do, my body, what I wear, how I go about my daily appearance of presenting myself to the world should all be to help fulfill that mission. And that doesn't mean I should be looking, making myself look fantastic, but I should look res- respectable in, in terms of that I'm being a good steward of the things that God has bestowed upon me, if that made any sense. Yeah, for sure. So uh, one last question um, that, uh, that we'll try to answer quickly, even though it's a big one. Um, is, uh, we got a, a message from a guy named Michael Tomko and he asked, uh, so it was in one of the episodes where we were talk- talking about the MLK 50 thing and he, he put in quotation marks, cultural repentance. Um, and he talks about the white church apologizing for the murder of MLK. He was hearing this on the gospel coalition. We talked about it a little bit. He says, I hear this a lot with no practical instructions as to how or what that even means and what that would look like. I'd really appreciate some idea of how to biblically carry that out. So I would just say, I mean, we, we disagreed. Uh, you can go back and listen to our episode on that. We disagreed with kind of the gospel coalition putting on a conference focused on uh, Martin Luther King. But that doesn't mean that we don't believe in cultural repentance. And so cultural repentance just means uh, essentially that uh, there is a way in which the, the, the people of God ought to collectively own the sins of the church. There's one body. There's one church. 
And so biblically what this looks like, I mean, if, if you uh, were in Second Chronicles chapter 7, <clears throat> it, uh, it starts in verse 13. It says, When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people. So in other words, if, if my people are experiencing my curses because of their sin, right? So he's, he's talking about environmental. He's talking about various curses. So if my people are experiencing uh, the curses because of their sin, it says, verse 14, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. And all I would say with that is that when we look at the culture around us, we see that we are under the curse of God, right? We're, we're killing in North America, like 1.2 million babies every single year in the womb. Um, whether you want to talk about climate change, whether you want to talk about racial tension, whatever, there's a lot going on in the culture right now that is a curse from God. And when I say a curse from God, what I mean by that is it, anything, anything that is not obedience toward God is cursed. One of the overwhelming messages of scripture is that he, God will bless obedience and curse disobedience. And so what he's essentially saying is that what cultural repentance looks like is my people acknowledging their sins before me, humbling themselves before me, praying to me, and then I'll hear them and I'll turn. So I, I think, you know, to answer the question in a very broad sense, what cultural repentance looks like is the church, broadly speaking, owning a particular sin repenting of it, turning away from it, and asking God to relent on the curse for their disobedience to that thing. So, for example, right now, I think we're reaping what we've sown in a lot of areas. I think some of the the the, the horrible atrocities that we're seeing in terms of abortion are a direct result of how we've, we've uh, treated our kids within our own churches and congregations. So what does cultural repentance look like in that particular area? It looks like the church recognizing that we have uh, been treating our children as second-class citizens, changing our practice, and asking God for repentance. And as each individual church does that, as each individual local church does that, the culture will begin to look different. Similarly, if if some of the racial tension that we see in the culture around us is because within our own local bodies, we can't get along with the people in our churches, then what it looks like is us um, resolving that conflict biblically, repenting of our sin and asking God to relent from his wrath. So I, it, it's, it's not, um, I, I get that that's broad, but that's what cultural repentance looks like in a biblical sense. Yeah, it's fantastic. I, know, I I don't think there's much to add on that to for the listener. I just hope that that was helpful. Yeah. I hope all these questions helped you in some way, just even if it's just a, how to answer questions and how to think through these things in a biblical way. Um, I know both of us appreciate all questions we get. We get tons of questions and we do apologize that we can't answer them all on, on air. We just kind of, the ones we get asked the most, we kind of, we kind of pick up, pick up on, um, but feel free to always message us on, uh, on Facebook. You can post right on the, the videos and the podcast that we link on there. Feel free. We do engage on those things as you can see with this episode and we will engage even, even on those. Just feel free to tag us or, or just say, Hey, Help us, help me out in this conversation that I'm in when you get yourself yeah, on Facebook. Love that's it. what we're here for. Um, so if you liked what you heard today, please like us and share us on Facebook. Feel free to follow us on SoundCloud um, and always give us a like on Facebook. That self helps tremendously. Um, so we're the Rebel Alliance and hope you guys helping have a great week.